Hello and welcome to the Double Double. My name is David Dixon and it is Tuesday, April 28th here in New York City. Uh, Hoping everyone is staying safe and doing well as they can be during this coronavirus pandemic. Uh, We have a really interesting podcast for you today. We had back on Alexander Amir from Blitzalytics, who helped me preview the NFL draft a couple weeks ago. Is he he came back on to help me recap this weekend's draft? Uh, I found the draft enjoyable in a lot of ways, and and we'll get more into that on onto the podcast. But I generally think that that all the leagues may have an issue going forward, in, in that the virtual draft uh, it is is a better viewing experience than a than a draft where that we're accustomed to where the guys are being paraded across the, the stage and stuff because we get to see them with, with their families and, and how much it means to them and, and, and the celebrations at home. And uh, I found that a lot better in a lot of ways. So we'll see what the NBA and Major League Baseball does as those drafts are coming up and will probably have to be virtual. So so we'll see what, what happens there. Uh, this past weekend in, in Recommendation Corner, the next two episodes of The Last Dance aired this past Sunday night on ESPN. They were fantastic. They went more into the, the the bad boy Pistons battle with Michael Jordan in the late 1980s and, and the early 1990s. Uh, Dennis Rodman's infamous vacation during the 1998 season to, to Las Vegas. And just a lot of other just really interesting things. It's interesting to see that Michael Jordan hated Isaiah Thomas back then. And it still seems like he, he really dislikes him now. So if you haven't seen those yet, I highly recommend... Uh, checking those out and really following along as we go through this journey of Michael Jordan's final season and and his career every Sunday night on on ESPN. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to hit the music. And when we come back, will be my interview from yesterday afternoon recapping the 2020 NFL draft with the Blitzalytics chief editor and senior scout Alexander Amir. Joining me today on the Double Double, making his second appearance in a matter of a few weeks, is Blitzalytics' chief editor and senior scout, Alexander Amir, to help me recap this weekend's NFL draft. Alexander, thanks for coming back on and uh, joining me today. Thanks for having me back again. I'm glad that uh, you enjoyed my first appearance enough the first time to have me back. Uh, but yeah, the draft was everything we could have hoped for and more. Uh, we were just talking about uh, before before this interview that uh, it was so deep, and like we saw so many guys fall into the fourth and fifth rounds, and every two or three picks, it seemed like the analysts were calling them a steal. And we thought at Blitzalytics, we thought uh, you know these teams were getting major steals in the fifth and sixth round that we thought could have gone as high as the third round. So uh, it was super exciting. I'm super excited to get into it. Obviously, so obviously th- this year's draft was was very different with it being a virtual draft because obviously with the coronavirus pandemic. And an in-person draft was just uh, not possible this year. But my my first question for you is, nothing about this year's draft from a viewing experience necessarily changed for me. You know, I was still sitting on my couch uh, watching the draft and uh, scrolling through Twitter, reading all the picks. How did the new virtual format affect kind of what 
affects someone like you and what you guys are doing at Blitzalytics? Is it with more live stream? Is it just more instant reaction on Twitter? Like, like, like what were some of the differences? Yeah, I mean, kind of like you said, it, it's kind of felt pretty similar to any other year. I mean, you know, when we're watching from our homes, what we generally see is the analysts at the, stu- at the uh, venue rather than at home or in the studio. We see the coaches and GMs in the green room in the back or in their rooms in the venue rather than uh, uh, rather than at home separated. And we see the, all the players in the green room waiting with their families rather than at home. So, you know, they were all in a different setting. But in terms of a viewing experience, and for us, it kind of was exactly the same. Like, we still had our Blitzalytics live stream on YouTube. Um, we followed along with the picks on Twitter. We also had it pulled up on the screen for people, for us to see, and for us to see what's going on. But in terms of coverage, I mean, I think, I think they did a fantastic job. There were very few uh, technological miscues. Um, you know, and, and what I've heard on Twitter and what I've heard from, uh, you know, people around the league that coaches and GMs kind of liked being able to spend more time with their families. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they were they were home for the past few weeks before the draft and during the draft, and they liked being in a more comfortable environment rather than putting in all the hours at the office or at the facilities before. And I also thought that this put more focus on the players in terms of interviews, seeing them naturally in, 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 in their homes with their families rather than the whole pomp and circumstance of the entire draft. So I have a feeling uh, this is going to be something that we might see going forward. Yeah, I, I personally think that the NFL may have a, a dilemma on their hands because I thought that this year's virtual draft, I know it may not have been the perfect situation for the teams and having everyone in different places just in terms of their communications about picks, but I thought it was awesome because we got to see the reactions from their players. You know, A lot of them allowed ESPN and the NFL Network to put the cameras in their homes to, to capture those moments. And it was and it was kind of incredible to see the for so many of these guys the moment where they found out that they had been drafted and these lifelong dreams come true and really just uh, the, like the parents' reaction too, I thought was uh, was really really great and then and, and then just it, it made it kind of more fun and a, and a new level of, of intrigue to it go, seeing inside. Uh, the coaches and the GM's homes and their own draft setup because there's the infamous yeah. Cliff Kingsbury setup with with his house with with the turf outside like the, the, the all glass windows and like the fire pit uh, looked like uh, the house that Ryan Gosling had in the movie Crazy Stupid Love uh, and then and then also just you know the, the the famous Belichick with his with his dog and like at at his kitchen table out in uh, Nantucket. I thought that was all great. And then also what I thought was the most interesting thing that I wasn't expecting was this virtual format really humanized and made Roger Goodell more relatable in a way because he just looked so tired as <laughs> as as the draft wore on because he changed outfits the first night and, and then by day two he went from standing to sitting in his, as he said, his comfy chair that he watched that he watches football in and just started slouching farther and farther back. He started stress eating the, the M&Ms that were next to him because they kept getting lower and lower. I thought Goodell came across really relatable as that like he isn't this $50 million power suit that we all assume him to be, but that he's just like a normal guy in a lot of ways, which which I thought was a was an unexpected twist from from this year's virtual draft. I totally agree. It was, it was super cool to see him in that setting, and you know, like, like you said, it just became more relatable, more likable. I mean, people on social media are like, "Well, like Goodell is like a, a real a real person." 
Yeah. So enough of the surround. Enough talk about like the surrounding parts of the draft. Let's get into the players and the actual events, which was the selection of players. So, so the first thing I want to talk about was because uh, the draft started chalk. Uh, kind of started at pick number three because we didn't know what the Lions were going to do after Joe Burrow and Chase Young went one two. We didn't know if the Lions were going to trade back, but they but they went chalk Alexander and and they picked uh, Jeff Okuda, the the cornerback from Ohio State. So the draft really started with our New York Giants at number four, where where we picked Andrew Thomas. So kind of what was your analysis of this pick here at four? Yeah, so he was if you remember from my previous episode, he was my number three tackle. Uh, on my uh, tackle rankings, it was behind Jedrick Wills and Makai Becton. But that being said, he is the most pro-ready tackle. He knows how to play left tackle because Jedrick Wills played right tackle in uh, college exclusively, and Makai Becton played both, but he's a lot of development in terms of his technique. Uh, and he also won't require any development. So he's an instant starter. He's super solid. His ceiling is lower than the others, in my opinion, but his floor is the highest. So If the Giants wanted, I mean, I assume the Giants wanted a tackle that could come in right now, start right now, and be someone they could rely upon and not have to worry about developing, especially in the shortened offseason, that he'll be a solid tackle uh, for like 10-plus years. Um, And so I have no problems with the pick whatsoever. And people were saying, you know, it's a reach or they should have traded down. But if you look at the draft, no one traded up within the first 10 picks. Yeah. Like, it didn't seem like you still need another partner to be able to trade up. And so, obviously, ideally, the Giants trade down and take Andrew Thomas or, you know, whatever other tackles there. But I I have no problems with this pick whatsoever, and I'm excited to finally have, you know, hopefully a tackle that we can count on. Yeah, I I think that the two things you said there was the most interesting. The the first meaning that you need to trade partner, because the first trade-up we saw was uh, San Francisco traded down one spot, right? So, when in in that first trade, it was only for a – a difference of, of one pick and I think that this uh, this idea of a shortened offseason that all the teams are finally wrapping their heads around that this is not going to be a traditional NFL offseason with training camps and maybe a shortened training camp or a longer training camp that may start in September or October when we can finally get back to uh, those types of group settings I think that, that what you said of the, of the fact that Andrew Thomas can actually come in he can play either right tackle or left tackle right away is a big big deal uh in this because not not only is there are there fewer practices in general in the nfl because of all the safety guidelines in the new cba which has been credited for why it takes offensive linemen longer to develop but also just they could just could have fewer practices and the acclimation period to get ready for the season so i think that was a a big big part of it and lastly it'll be interesting too because mckay beckton the tackle from Louisville, he went to the Jets. So so both teams, both New York teams, picked tackles in the first round, and we'll be able to uh, follow and compare both of their careers as they share the same stadium. Yeah, for sure. I'm super excited to see what McCann Jackson does and how the Jets are able to develop him. He looked humongous. Like, like, he's amazing. I love him. <laughs> like, like you described him accurately as, you know, he's humongous, and he stands out on film as being huge, but then just seeing him with his family in his living room, he was yeah. – it was it – was, it was very impressive. But m- moving on, there were three quarterbacks picked in the top six. Obviously, Burrow went number one to Cincinnati. But there was a lot of rumors leading up to the draft about what Miami would do. Miami was rumored to be trying to trading up to three with Detroit. There was rumors that they were really into Justin Herbert. 
uh, the quarterback from from Oregon, but but they went with Tua at five, and Justin Herbert went number six to the L.A. Chargers. Do do you think Miami made the right decision? And and kind of uh, should we ever believe the, these smoke screens, these smoke smoke screens coming out uh, like the week before a draft again? Yeah, it's so hard to know about the smoke screens. First of all, because like you know, for for a month or, or so, they're saying Herbert to the Chargers. But if you remember last year. Um, when the, when the Browns were picking first and everyone was trying to figure out which QB they were going to take, Baker Mayfield wasn't even on the table until the morning right. of the draft. And then everyone thought that was just an obvious smokescreen that ended up being it. So it's it's, it's really impossible to know uh, what smoke and what isn't. It's kind of just, you'll, you'll, you'll know in retrospect every year. Um, but I think it was a smart move for them to try and push Herbert's value up so that they would have to have fault to them at five uh, if, if that were to be necessary. Um, in terms of the, the how smart the picks were, uh, you know my opinion on Tua. He's yep. a great quarterback. The injury concerns are there. If you're my, I think for both of these teams, if you're Miami and the Chargers, uh, you kind of have to make these picks. You know, Tua's like so he's so good without the injuries that you have a great opportunity in Miami with all the picks that you have now to get your franchise quarterback and build up your roster. A lot of times, if teams you know, have a terrible roster and also don't have that many draft picks, taking a quarterback with the risk that Tua has might be detrimental because you can't actually build up the rest of the roster. But Miami had so many picks in this draft, two other first-rounders, I think somewhere something like four or five picks in the next couple of rounds that they could build up the roster, which they uh, tried to do. So I, I, don't, I don't have any problem with the Tua pick. And the Herbert pick, I, I'm not a believer in Herbert. I don't think he's going to be that good. I think Jordan Love would be better. But if you're the Chargers, you have a roster that's ready to win right now. Quarterback is really the only big hole, a hole uh, on the team. I think if Jordan Love came in right now to the Chargers, he wouldn't work because he needs development. So, again, I, I'm not a fan of Herbert, but I think this was a pick that the Chargers had to make because they have to make some sort of push with the roster that they have with a cheap rookie quarterback. And Herbert has all the tools, and they might be able to unlock him uh, you know, to take advantage of that roster. Yeah, I— I, I think you're you're right in that Herbert is probably a better fit for the LA Chargers because he has so many weapons around him. He has Austin Eckler, like a very good running back. He has wide receivers and and Keenan Allen and um, Mike Williams. It's like he has targets and and guys to throw to that he doesn't need to do too much because the guys around him can can help him make plays. While the Miami roster is a lot of young guys there rebuilding and everything. Uh, I just think that's uh I just think that it's uh just interesting cuz it's like these quarterbacks where with the shortened off season it might help Tua because he could get healthier and healthier and if, and if they're really only going to play let's say eight regular season games maybe you sit out Tua and have him do a Patrick Mahomes type type year uh take take the year off train get healthy not not that Mahomes was unhealthy but just and then come back next season and really get ready to to dominate. But I think both of those guys, it's really interesting because I, I think L.A. would have been very happy with uh, with either one of them, and, and they just took the guy who was there. And, and lastly, the, the last thing I'll say was that Terod Taylor was the quarterback in Cleveland when they took Baker Mayfield, and he had... And he and he got replaced by by Mayfield there, and and now maybe we'll see how many games he lasts before Justin Herbert becomes the starter there in uh in L A. Yeah, I could definitely see 
uh, Taylor starting the season as Herbert's try, still trying to learn because the, the, the offense that he ran at Oregon was so simple. Yeah. And he just never had to learn how to play quarterback in any sort of like cerebral way. And he doesn't lack the intelligence to do so. He just never has done it. So we'll see how long it takes for, before the Chargers are comfortable in allowing him to do that. We'll also see how long the season is. That So many factors go into it before we, we'll even know. But it'll definitely be interesting to watch. So keeping with the, with the quarterback theme, the most controversial pick of round one was the Packers trading up to take Jordan Love, the quarterback from Utah State, the apparent heir to Aaron Rodgers. Uh, this was controversial for a lot of reasons, mainly because the Packers being one game away from the Super Bowl last year takes a, in the first round a quarterback who in the best case scenario, wouldn't play for them for two or three seasons. And again, have neglected a skill position guy in, in the first round for, for Rogers. So what did you think of, of this move by the Packers organization? So this is a complicated one. Um, if you look at the Packers roster, I think they have very few holes. Wide receiver was by far the biggest one, uh, but their defense is pretty solid all around. You know, they could use depth at places, uh, you know, maybe more along the defensive line, but they have a pretty solid roster overall. Um, so, I ordinary, I, 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 you know, my opinion on Jordan Love, I think he's can be fantastic if he's put in the right situation to learn from the right people. So, and they did this with Brett Favre when they drafted Aaron Rodgers to sit behind him for a few years again at like the age thirty-five and thirty-six when Rod, oh, sorry, when Favre was about thirty-five yeah. and thirty-six. Rodgers is thirty-six now. Um, you know, they picked Rogers, picked like 25 or 26. They picked Jordan Love, like uh, 22 or something, or 18, so somewhere in the middle of the first round. Um, so I wouldn't have a problem with this pick if they addressed their holes later in the draft. The issue is they didn't. They yeah. drafted a running back <laughs> in the second round, a developmental kind of blocking tight end in the third round, and didn't draft a wide receiver at all. So. I, I, have, I would have no problem with this pick if they filled their hole elsewhere because, you know, I do think Jordan Love is a great talent and I do think he plays a little bit like Aaron Rodgers and I think he would normally be a good person to learn behind. Um, my theory is that Aaron Rodgers has some kind of bad relationship with the front office and they don't want to be stuck in a situation where, well, either one, they don't want to be stuck in a situation where Rodgers, like, leaves and they don't have a quarterback or, or two, um, they are what they want to get rid of Rodgers because they're kind of sick of him. So I don't think, I think it's a combination of a few things. I don't know if it's that. Yeah, um, but I do think there the relationship between Rodgers and the front office has a lot to do with this pick. I don't think you're that far from the truth there because we've seen his his dissatisfaction with a lot of things, and you know he he seems like a he can be at times a difficult person to work with. And also, I'm sure that the Green Bay establishment and their ownership, they were kind of trapped with Brett Favre as Brett Favre was doing his retirement, unretirement, retiring again, unretiring again uh, shenanigans uh, back in the mid-2000s that eventually they just said, we're not bringing you back. Aaron's our guy. Uh, I feel like that they, they that they just don't want to be trapped to Aaron Rodgers as he gets older uh, and kind of be stuck with whatever he wants to do and that they'll have a guy i'm not a jordan love fan at all i didn't get it i don't get the the hype i get that he's 
talented and, and all this, but just the numbers and just from watching him, it it nothing really stuck stuck out to me. But hey, you know, I don't watch a lot of Mountain West football. So so I so so I'll trust the experts like like you and, and, and the guys on TV about uh his his positives. So moving on to, to what was perhaps the the best position group coming into the draft, which was wide receivers. We saw 16 wide receivers taken in rounds one, two, and three, Alexander. And then the first two days of the draft, we saw 16 wide receivers go. The first wide receiver off the board, though, was not the consensus number one guy. It was Henry Ruggs from from, from Alabama, went 12 to, to Oakland. I think this is a classic Oakland Raiders mistake. It reminds me a lot of the Darius Hayward Bay pick. Uh, it just seems like a, a mistake to me. So I, I, I disagree that it's a mistake, but I do disagree with the pick. I think Jerry Judy is a better player. Um, he has the separation and speed, not to Ruggs' level, but he has the ability to stretch the field and separate and be explosive with his speed. Uh, I don't think it's a Darius Hayward Bay situation because Hayward Bay was kind of, he was a big body with a ton of deep speed, but he was kind of just a vertical threat and didn't have the lateral quickness, the flexibility, or the elusiveness that Ruggs has. Ruggs, he, he's a great route runner too, and I think he brings more to the table than Hayward Bay does. And I think he's much more comparable to Tyreek Hill rather than Hayward Bay, um, just because of his elusiveness and his speed and his separation ability without sacrificing the route running. Um, so, like I said, Jerry Judy was, was still my number one. CeeDee Lamb was my number two. But if the Raiders do, this is like a this is a classic Raiders move in the fact that they like are picking the fastest guy in the draft yeah. to uh, build their offense around. Like, you know, if they want this downhill attack with, well, you know, a, a downhill, like, a chuck it up and air it out, Ruggs is the guy to do it. Um, and, and I don't think that Ruggs is going to be a bust, even though he was my number three wide receiver. I think he's, he's fantastic. And if used correctly, um, you know, he'll have a Tyreek Hill sort of impact. The problem that I see is that I don't know if Derek Carr can get the ball to him. Yep. I don't know if, if Derek Carr is accurate enough downfield to do that and i think so cd lamb honestly would have been the best fit to erase some of the inaccuracies and use his great body control um and hands to uh to do so so uh, it's i disagree with the pick but i kind of get where the raiders are coming from yeah i i think you're right in that i have a lot of question marks in that in in, in Derek carr and his abilities as a quarterback and i also have my my own questions about john gruden as a play caller, can he be creative enough to get Henry Ruggs the ball in space in situations where he can really thrive? It seems like everyone is trying to copy that the Kansas City model of speed, 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 speed. Well, no one has Patrick Mahomes, and Andy Reid is a tremendous play caller. So you're trying to copy this model, but you got to have the foundations to really be successful and maybe a more traditional receiver. Uh, who's not so uh, reliant on the, his one trait of just breathtakingly fast speed down down the field and quickness? Maybe a Jerry Judy or a C.D. Lamb would have made more sense there. But if you're but but if you're the Dallas Cowboys, you have to be absolutely thrilled. Not just that the owner who was making the pick was on a quarter of a billion dollar yacht when <laughs> drafting, but that but that CD Lamb falls to their falls to them at seventeen and they don't have to trade up for him and sacrifice any draft capital, but they potentially got the best wide receiver in the draft at at seventeen. Yeah, I was shocked that that, that happened and 
I, I was a little more scared of uh, Lamb going to the Eagles because I think their roster is a little better and they have a better shot at winning uh, uh, in the playoffs if they have a receiver. But this is not an ideal scenario for a Giants fan. Uh, no. for, for the Cowboys to have Lamb. I mean, the, the combination of Lamb and Amari Cooper is going to be extremely difficult to stop. Um, and, you know, Dallas has a complete offense right now. They, they've got two top wide receivers, assuming CeeDee Lamb is what we think he is. Uh, they've got their running back. They've got the offensive line. They've got a quarterback that I believe is good enough to win a Super Bowl. You know, if you put Dak on the 49ers last year, I think they win the Super Bowl. Uh, I don't think he's a fantastic quarterback, but I definitely think he's good enough Um to win a Super Bowl with a roster around him, and he definitely has the talent right now to do it. They still have, they have Michael Gallup as their third receiver, who was great last year. They have a legitimate offense, and they, they did get an absolute steal with this land pick. And, and they also have a more offensively focused coach in yeah. Mike McCarthy, because obviously they fired Jason Garrett, uh, and they bring in Mike McCarthy, who obviously coached Aaron Rodgers for many, many years, and uh, was with their very successful offenses there. I, I agree with you. I think this is very, very, very dangerous. And I think it just speaks to kind of just how deep the wide receivers are in this draft class of that. No one really traded up to try to get a receiver because there were so many guys available that I feel like teams were kind of content with, okay, you know, the the Eagles were at 21. They, they picked Jalen Rieger. They were like, hey, we, we like J- Jalen Rieger, but – you know, if one of these other guys falls to us too, like there wasn't that much of a difference in their board where they felt compelled to to feel like that that they had to trade up to get one of the Jerry Judys, the CD Lambs type type guys. Right. So so the last guy who was a day one pick who who I want to shout out is Poly Prep Class of 2017, Isaiah Wilson. He got picked 29th to the Tennessee Titans. Uh big hulking. He'll probably be a, a right tackle for them. Uh, just, just great to see for the old high school there. What were some sneaky great picks on day one that that we just haven't mentioned yet? Yeah, so I have three specific ones that I loved. The first one is the 49ers taking Javon Kinlaw at fourteen um, or 15, fourteen, yeah, when they traded back one. Um, I think he's a perfect fit to fill in for DeForest Buckner. They're both they're both uh, long, explosive, interior defensive tackles that can kind of move around the front. Um, you know, I, I know the 49ers needed a wide receiver, and they could have gotten Judy or Lamb, but I think the most important thing for them is keeping that defense intact because that's what got them to where they were last year. And their defense is basically exactly the same as it was last year now with this Kinlaw, with Kinlaw filling in for Buckner. I think Kinlaw's an absolute star, and I think he's going to be a fantastic defensive lineman. And he, he's going to be a staple on that defense for a while. And that combination of him, uh, Bosa, D. Ford, and, and uh, Arik Armstead, on that front four is going to be just as scary as it was last year. Um, I think the second one is Patrick Queen to the Ravens. I think his, his ceiling is absurdly high. Uh, he played for one year at LSU, and he's unreal physical gifts. And somehow the Ravens lucked into another great linebacker at 28. Um, I saw something on Twitter that since like the year 2000, the Jets four or five linebackers, and all of them have made like multiple All Pros, like has played for many many years and. The Ravens just have ridiculous luck drafting linebackers. <laughs> Patrick Queen's going to be fantastic. Um, the last one is Clyde Edwards-Hilaire to the Chiefs. He's just the perfect running back for the system. Chiefs don't have that many needs, so it's fine to spend a first-rounder on a running back there. Um, and if you guys are looking for a fantasy football running back in a dynasty league, Edwards-Hilaire is yep. the number one uh, rookie running back or rookie fantasy uh, fantasy athlete 
in general because Andy Reid sure knows how to use his running backs. For sure. I, I 100% agree with you. I, we, we both were big fans of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire coming into the draft. I was pumped to see him go in the first round, and he yeah. went to the, the perfect situation there in Kansas City. So so moving on to to day two. So so day two is this rounds two and three. Kind of everyone knows that in the first round you're looking for the, the superstar franchise-type players, but – Alexander, what do teams really look for in rounds two and three uh, just in terms of players? Like, are they looking for stars, starters, projects? Yeah, so in, in, in round two, I think I think particularly in this draft, it was kind of leftover round one talent, like guys that are talented enough to be uh, a first-round pick but just weren't because of the draft class. Um, I think it was Daniel Jeremiah or, or some, some, some uh, major analyst on Twitter said that he had 20 to 25 guys uh, that went in the second round with first-round grades in this year, which is ridiculous oh, wow. that, that there's that much like first-round caliber talent. So in this year, guys like Xavier McKinney, who we'll talk about later, Yetour Gross Matos, Trayvon Diggs, all of them could have easily been picked in the first round. They were just left over, and you know teams got them in the, in the second. Um, I think another thing in the second round, if you don't have that leftover round one talent, it's just a guy that is will be like super solid that you know you can come in on day one and start even if they don't if, even if their ceiling isn't as high as some first rounder might be. Um, you know, there's someone that can come in and make an impact right away. In terms of round three, uh, I think it's more high end talents with injury concerns, kind of like Julian Alquara, Terrell Lewis, Zach Moss, and Lucas Nyang. Uh-huh. Uh, all four of those are examples of that this year. Uh, developmental guys like Josh Jones, Antonio Gibson, Neville Gallimore, Matt Pert. Uh, pair like the, the Giants took, and I'm sure we'll talk about him later as well. Um, and then also kind of less valued positions. Uh, so for like interior offensive linemen, four of the first six were taken in the third round. For tight ends, four of the first five were taken in the third round. And for defensive tackle, five were taken in the third, and only and four were taken in the previous two rounds. So it's a combination of those things that I think teams look for in those two rounds. Gotcha. So the biggest pick of day two was the Eagles in the second round picking Jalen Hurts, the quarterback from from Oklahoma, to be the backup for Carson Wentz. It didn't really make a lot of sense to me as I was watching that they would spend a second-round pick on a backup quarterback considering Carson Wentz, even though he has had some injury concerns, still seems like the their franchise quarterback for the foreseeable future in Philadelphia. Uh, so, so kind of in your mind, what went into this decision by the Eagles to take Hertz there? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think Hertz is a is going to be a great QB. Um, you know, his, his erratic ball placement, he makes some terrible decisions. He's slow to go through reads. Uh, his delivery is a little bit long. Uh, he breaks the pocket too soon under pressure, and his athleticism I don't think is like Lamar Jackson level to which it'll make a huge impact or as big of an impact at the NFL level. I think there's going to be a big drop off in how effective you see his legs uh, being. Uh, in terms of the Eagles' decision-making process, you know, once his, he's shown that he gets injured and the Eagles have shown they can win with a backup quarterback. So if you're worried about once getting injured again and wanting to keep your uh, playoff and Super Bowl hopes alive, you know, uh, if you think Jalen Hurts is the guy, to have a, back, a high-end backup like that could be helpful. Um you know, if they are looking at a trade for Wentz due to his injuries, this could be who they think is their next franchise quarterback. Or if you know they want to keep Wentz long term, but Jalen Hurts 
does come in for a few games due to Wentz's injuries and, you know, pops off like Jimmy Garoppolo did, they might explore a trade for Jalen Hurts and see what they can get in exchange for him for what he showed in a few games. So, again, I don't, I'm not a fan of Hurts. Uh, I was kind of ha- uh, happy to see the Eagles take him. But, you know, I, I, for, for those reasons, it seems like they have uh, at least a rationale for taking a quarterback in the second round. Yeah, and, and it also seemed like just in terms of just what you want out of a backup quarterback that, and we'll talk about him a little later, but Jake Fromm is just seems like more like a prototypical backup who can come in and be a game manager uh, more readily than a guy like Jalen Hurts. I didn't really get it. It's It definitely dominated the, the news about day two over some of the other players who were drafted just because it was so shocking, and especially because Jalen Hurts saying he didn't really have any interactions with the Eagles front office or their coaching staff in the in the pre-draft process, which yeah, made yeah, it all the I, more confusing. Yeah, I'm not I'm really I'm not really sure what exactly the reason is. It could be a combination of all the things that I mentioned, or it could be something completely different. Um, but I mean, we'll see what his playing time looks like. We'll see if once gets hurt, uh, hurt, and we'll see if Hurts comes in and you know does something good. So the big storyline that that I saw taking shape during. Uh, round two was that five running backs got picked and and I do think that this was a pretty good running back draft class but there was five guys who got picked in the second round DeAndre Swift went Jonathan Taylor went went to the Colts Cam Akers from from Florida State J.K. Dobbins from Ohio State and A.J. Dillon from Boston College as you mentioned went went to the Packers there's a lot of talk about uh, positional value in terms of where to draft guys and it it seemed like once one team took took a running back that oh, the other teams freaked out and said, hey, we, we got to take our top running back here. Yeah. Uh, what did you think of – or per, or first, first, first of all, what do you think of taking running backs in the second round? Is that still too early for, for you? And kind of, of of the guys who I mentioned, where do you, who, who do you think went to the best fit? Yeah, so in my mind, if you, unless you're a contender, it's it's almost never worth it to take a running back in the first or second round. I'll, I'll stand by the fact that as much as I love Saquon Barkley, uh, I don't think the Giants should have taken him at number two overall a couple of years ago because their, their roster was just not ready. You saw that he struggled this year without an offensive line, and running backs just aren't game-changing players as much as, as they might be game-changing talents. Like, you know, Saquon Barkley is, isn't going to translate to wins for the Giants unless their offensive line is intact, unless their defense is intact, and unless they have, you know, people that they can throw to. Uh, if you look even historically, like some of the best running backs just don't correlate to playoff or Super Bowl victories. So for the most part, I disagree with taking running backs in the first or second round. That being said, we mentioned Clyde Edwards later to the Chiefs. They have virtually no holes, and that offense is basically unstoppable. You cannot stop an offense that yeah. has that kind of talent now adding Clyde Edwards later in the backfield. Um, now in the second round, I love J.K. Dobbins to the Ravens because, again, they're a team that don't have that many holes. Patrick Queen filled their biggest hole at linebacker. And, you know, Dobbins transforms the offense in terms of their ability to run the, the read option because I just I don't know how you're going to defend against Dobbins coming up the middle with Lamar Jackson making that decision to tuck it and run to the outside or hand it to Dobbins because he's such a tough runner and an efficient runner up the middle. I think that's a great fit. I think Jonathan Taylor to the Colts is a great fit as well yeah. because their offensive line is fantastic. Probably top two, maybe best in the league. Um, sticking him behind there. They have Phillip Rivers now. They're obviously trying to win now. I think that's a great fit. 
Uh, on the flip side of that, I hated the DeAndre Swift pick to the Lions because, one, Swift is a guy that he, he's not the type of guy that's going to run between the tackles and just bounce off people and you know break with elite contact balance. That's more of a Taylor or Dobbins type. Swift and Lions is making sense to me because they're not in a contending position. They still have Carryon Johnson in the backfield, and their offense just doesn't. It's more of like an error out to using Matthew Stafford's arm to Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones and and their guys there rather than relying on a guy like Swift. So I don't like that pairing at all, and I don't like Cam Akers with the Rams at all. I'm a huge fan of Cam Akers, but the Rams have far more needs than a running back. They have a few running backs on the roster. They drafted Darrell Henderson last year. Um, you know, their team is kind of stuck in salary cap hell right now, and to rebuild by drafting a second-round running back when you didn't even have a first-rounder doesn't make much sense to me at all. Yeah, the the Rams taking a running back uh, was the most questionable to me because you could make a case for the Packers saying they were one game away. If they had a guy like A.J. Dillon uh, take the pressure off Rodgers, you know, it, it could help them in, in the NFC North, like the winter games and and all that i don't love that pick but but i kind of get it you know uh the the cam acres to the rams just doesn't make any sense because not only what you described with their salary cap situation they in the last few seasons as they've really tried to go for it they've had to trade a lot of draft picks for the veteran players that they uh, got you know Jalen Ramsey they they gave up picks for Dante Fowler you could go the the list goes on and on and on uh it didn't seem that great to me of a great use of a one of the very few draft picks they have of taking a running back especially because they had as you said they picked Darrell Henderson last year they basically found CJ Anderson two seasons ago they signed him off the street late season free agent and he was a huge contributor to their Super Bowl run uh, it just seems like to me that with their offense with Sean McVay, they can get running backs in a wide variety of places. They don't need to spend a second-round pick on a running back, especially when they just don't have that many picks in the ne- right. in this draft and in the drafts coming up. Right. I will say one thing about A.J. Dillon. Uh, the Packers do still have Aaron Jones. I don't really – I mean, the only reason I could see for taking Dillon now is that they don't want to pay Aaron Jones after the season to yeah. be a free agent. But they also still have Jamal Williams, who was super effective last year. And the fact that they took A.J. Dillon over a wide receiver is just absolutely mind-boggling to me. Uh, if you're going quarterback in the first round, you'd better fill your wide receiver hole in the second round. And A.J. AJ Dillon's not even a receiving back. He's a yeah. big bowling ball of a of a guy to run people over in between the tackles. I mean, I, I don't see I, – I, this might be like the weirdest pairing in the draft to me. Yeah, I, I didn't get it either, but I thought that the Cam Akers one was just – slightly worse in, in a way Akers is bad too yeah definitely Akers is terrible who was some of your sneaky best picks on day two uh and then because 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 mine you know just just from being a Giants fan and, and you mentioned at the beginning was Xavier McKinney the safety from from Alabama one of the best safeties in the country pro football focus had him as their 15th player on on their big board overall uh I thought we as Giants fans got a very good value pick there what makes McKinney so good and, and kind of what are some other guys that, that you thought were steals on, on day two. Yeah, McKinney is absolutely fantastic. He's, he's kind of a do-it-all defender. He has speed, quickness, and fluidity to play kind of anywhere in the secondary. He can play free safety. He can you know match up to, 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 to wide receivers. He's quick to diagnose and close on runs and short passes. His feet are twitchy in coverage. 
Um, you know, he, he can play all over the field, and he's kind of like a slightly faster Jabril Peppers. So I'd love to have those two guys plus Julian Love in the secondary. You can run like three safety sets like the Patriots did last year, uh, and you can drop uh, both Peppers and McKinney on various plays. You can drop either one into the box. You can leave one matched up on a tight end. You can drop one to free safety and put Julian Love down at, at nickel corner. So there's so many things that you can do with those three safeties back there, and I think this pick just adds instant versatility to, to the Giants' defense and the Giants' secondary as a whole. Uh, and I think uh, you know Joe Judge and the, and the Giants' defense in general is super excited to have this. And I really like how the secondary is shaping up right now between Bradbury, hopefully DeAndre Baker can take that next step forward, uh, and then with those three safeties. I think that's a, it's, a, it's a really, really huge pick, and McKinney might have been the, be- the best value in the second round just because he was supposed to be a first-round talent. He was, I think, uh, 20 on my big board or yeah. the top 20 in my big board and was supposed to be a top 20 pick also. So I think it's a fantastic value. Um, in terms of other day two picks, unfortunately, the Cowboys again, they yeah. got to deal with Trayvon Diggs. Trayvon Diggs was my number six cornerback and he's also a borderline first round talent. Uh, you know, they filled a major hole in their secondary after going with Lamb in the first round. That, 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 that I think the Diggs pick in the second makes me not even care that wide receiver may not have been a huge need for them in the first because they filled their biggest need with digs. Um, AJ Epinesa to the Bills in the second was huge. He was also a borderline first-round talent at edge. That was pretty much their only hole on defense, and now their defense is basically perfect. Um, the Titans found Christian Fulton at the end of the second round. He was my number two cornerback, actually, uh, and I think he's fantastic. They got a huge steal. The Saints got a steal on Zach Bond in the third round. He's a great edge rusher. Um, and he'll just you know add more pressure with that Saints front four, uh, and then Lucas Nyang to the Chiefs in the third round, uh, late third round. I think that's a great pick as well because he has injury concerns, which is why he fell that far. But he's my number five offensive tackle, and I think he's uh, just as effective in the run in the pass, and I think he could be a great guy to slide in if he's healthy. Yeah, I I totally agree with you, and it's and it's uh, frustrating as Giants fans to hear that the Cowboys doing well with these picks, but it's also interesting to see. That, that you're still really praising the Kansas City Chiefs and that they're just making really smart picks. Uh, yeah. That doesn't seem like a Super Bowl hangover is coming anytime soon for them because I think I don't think so because I think they know. Hey, we have Patrick Mahomes, maybe the most talented quarterback in recent memory and maybe ever that we could string together a lot of Super Bowl appearances and a lot of late season runs if we keep replenishing the roster and, and getting the uh, the draft right. Yeah, and Yang is a great depth piece so it, you know if a tackle or a lineman happens to go down you know you slide him in for a few games even if he may not stay healthy enough to stay to play for a whole season or he needs the first half of the season to recover he's fantastic depth for your offensive line so i, I really love what they're doing so moving on to day three th- this is saturday a noontime start commissioner roger goodell was wearing a t-shirt which i thought was awesome <laughs> uh so he said he was doing work around the house between picks what do teams look for on day three between rounds four and seven at Alexander because it seems like some teams still just try to take the best player available. Some teams draft solely by by need. Kind of how do teams approach these rounds? Yeah, I think uh, strategy from team to team differs wildly. Uh, there are kind of a few different types of players that I saw uh, kind of going in these rounds. The first is kind of like role players and special teamers. So a lot of these linebackers or running backs or tight ends all these guys going in, in, in middle or, or defensive backs going in these rounds four through seven 
are hopefully going to be guys that can contribute well on special teams and then also hopefully slide in on defense and uh, make a little bit of an impact. So some guys that came to mind were Troy Dye from Oregon and Justin Sternad from Wake Forest. Uh, they're both uh, kind of like speedy linebackers that will, I think will be great special teamers that could potentially come in and play linebacker on defense with, with development. Uh, we also saw a couple backup project QBs going with Jacob Eason and James Morgan. Uh, you know, I, it seems like the Colts are banking on Eason being their future at yeah. least, uh, after Rivers retires. Um, aside from those two, we see kind of like less physically gifted players, but productive and effective in their technique. Um, guys like Bradley and I went in the fifth. Ben Barch, who, you know, is one of my, uh, my favorites and our favorites at Blitz. Yep. Uh, and Nick Harris, center from Washington. Uh, all those guys, they don't have like the prototypical body or the prototypical length. But they, were, they, they showed up really, really nicely on film. There are guys with injuries, injury histories, like significant injury histories, like Tyler Biedas, the center from Wisconsin, and Natani uh, Muti. Uh, he's a guard. He, uh, uh, I forgot where he went to college, but he's a huge body and needs development. And had injury concerns. He could be a huge get if he can stay healthy. And then also just significant projects like Prince Tiger Winogo and Hakeem Adenji, uh, offensive linemen that you know have some physical tools but need uh, a lot of work. So it, it's kind of kind of it's all across the board, kind of what your team is looking for. If it is special teamers, if it is guys you want to develop, if it, if it is just to fill holes, uh, a lot of options. Yeah, it, it it definitely seems like that. Depending on different teams, it's guys take. Uh, the players at, at the top of the board, I remember, you know, Seattle got Richard Sherman in the fifth round, and he's trying to be awesome. And, and, and then you see a team like Minnesota takes an injury plague, Stephon Diggs coming out of college, and he booms into one of the premier wide receivers in the NFL. So so a lot of things can happen on on day three. The, the first thing I want to mention is uh, the, the quarterback position. I don't know if the listeners have figured out, but I love quarterbacks. I think they're the most interesting to talk about. Jacob Easton goes in round four to Indianapolis, as you said, potentially the long-term replacement for Phillip Rivers there. What do you think of Easton going there? It's a chance to sit behind Rivers for at least one season, learn. Uh, But what are some things Easton needs to clean up for him to to be a starting caliber quarterback in the NFL? Yeah, I think uh, a fourth-round pick for Easton is perfect value for the Colts. And I think learning behind Rivers is great because, you know, Rivers, or at least had the arm strength, uh, they play a little bit similarly. And he also has a fantastic offensive line to work behind. So when he comes in, he's not going to be constantly under pressure. So I think that's an ideal situation for Eason Eason to go into. Um, He has arm strength, uh, huge arm strength. Uh, He can throw a deep ball. He's decisive. He's quick release. Um, A lot of it is mental. He throws into coverage too often and locks onto his first target. He doesn't step up in the pocket and reacts too slowly to pass rushers, and his mechanics are inconsistent, and his mobility is limited. So, you know, if you think about Philip Rivers in his prime, it's a little bit similar in terms of their physical attributes, and Easton just needs to learn how to, like, play the position and be more uh, comfortable under pressure. But I think it's an ideal situation for him to be in. The most interesting thing that that happened on day three from a quarterback perspective was that the Patriots didn't take one. They they didn't take Jacob, Jacob yeah. Easton, obviously obviously and I personally thought Jake Fromm made the most sense going to New England in as one of these later round guys because he won a lot in college first of all he he won a lot of games at Georgia and people will say he wasn't the he wasn't winning those games with spectacular play from him but he didn't do a lot of things to 
to lose games, which in the SEC going up against the defenses he did, that's that's a tough to do. Of you know, and really impressive that he always put his team in positions to win. He, yes, you could say he always had a good running game, a good defense, and a good offensive line. But for a guy who came in as a true freshman, and if Tua didn't steal the show in the second half, he would have won a national championship as a freshman. And who knows what the kind of the the story around Jake Fromm would be. He goes to Buffalo, Alexander. I think this is a really interesting pick because I don't know about Josh Allen's long-term health just with the, the way that he plays. Uh, I think he's, he's an injury-prone guy. I also don't think he's great yet. So I don't know if he's really the long-term answers. I think you could throw Fromm in and he can compete and he can keep you in games. Uh, I I think that's a that's a very hard to measure trait of just the competitiveness and that desire to win. Yeah, so here's the thing for me with Fromm. Um, I think we probably touched on it last podcast. I'm not a fan of Fromm at all. I think he's not a good quarterback, and I think his absolute ceiling is just a backup that can potentially come in and win you a couple games. The thing for me, I don't like the pairing in Buffalo because, in general, what I want from a backup quarterback is someone that can come in and run the same offense that you're running if if Josh Allen goes down in a game. And the the Bills' offense is predicated on Josh Allen's arm strength and rushing ability. And Jake Fromm doesn't have either of those things. He's he, he, he's like a consistent – he's consistent mechanics. He's a consistent guy. He takes very few risks and knows how to move through his progression. So, you know, if he is a – if he is a – he is probably a guy that can come in and win you a few games and not be a complete liability just because he won't turn the ball over. But, you know, in general, I, I feel like on the Bills, he's going to limit the playbook significantly because their offense is built around a guy like Josh Allen and Jake Fromm could not be any different from what Josh Allen is. So I'm not a fan of, like, this pairing as the backup quarterback. Uh, you mentioned Fromm on the Patriots. I thought the Patriots would take Fromm eventually. Um, I guess they, they just uh, weren't as much of a fan of him. They signed uh, Jamar Smith from Louisiana Tech in uh, undrafted free agency, and he's flashed a little bit on film, so they might see what they can get out of him. But I have a feeling they're tanking for uh, Trevor or Justin Fields or whoever it might be next year. Yeah, it, it's interesting you you describing the the differences in Josh Allen and, and Jake Fromm because that was something that I uh, probably overlooked a little bit. I it, It's just, you know, I, I watch a lot of college football Alexander the, the the last few years and you know Georgia's on a lot they're a highly ranked team they're they're playing big games and Fromm just came across as just a super super impressive guy he was one of the highest rated quarterbacks and players coming out of high school stays in state uh he's just a guy throughout his career you know he was a went to the Little League World Series he he, he just is a competitor and and I wouldn't be surprised if he's that guy who I don't know if it'll happen with the Bills but if if at some point he's in the playoffs as, as a starting quarterback. Yeah, I mean, I could, if he takes over for an injured guy, whether that's on the bill or somewhere else, I could see him potentially winning a game just because, like you said, because of his competitiveness and ability to limit turnovers. Um, so I, I just think the fit for Buffalo is the most puzzling thing for me. But I, I, I definitely see the appeal in terms of his competitiveness. Yeah. So one of our favorite prospects – is Ben Barch, the offensive tackle from uh, St. John's in Minnesota, D3 guy. I always got to rep and ride for all the D3 guys out there. He got picked in the fourth round to the Jacksonville Jaguars. How does he fit in with their doing? Because 
just from my own belief about the Jaguars and, and that organization, is that that's not a great place to be. Yeah, it, yeah, it's not ideal. <laughs> Someone has to go there. <laughs> um, I, I guess, you know, coming from D3, there could be, I mean, like, look, he was a fourth round pick coming from D3. That's pretty impressive. Uh, and I think he's going to be fantastic. Um, I do. I also I do like what the uh, Jaguars did with their draft. They went heavy on defense. Um, but I mean, Barch can slide in. I, I, I'm not uh, unsure, I'm unsure of their state of their offensive line, but Barch can probably play both tackle and offensive guard. He needs to improve his strength a little bit. Um, but I mean, the Jaguars did have a great offensive line a few years ago, and we saw them go to the ASU championship on the backs of their offensive line, running game, and defense. So, you know, if Barch can be a part of that, I think uh, I think their defensive draft is fantastic with C.J. Henderson, uh, Caleb on Chason, Devon Hamilton. I got some guys like Shaq, Shaq Carterman and Josiah Scott later, uh, Daniel Thomas from Auburn. So I think they're, they're doing well to rebuild their defense. They're trying to replicate the formula they had uh, a few years ago. For sure. And, and one team gave them a, a run for their money in terms of building the, the defense out, and that was the Carolina Panthers. Under new head coach Matt Rule, they used every pick they had this year, all seven, all on defensive players. Uh, is that a good draft strategy in your mind? I understand their defense was very, very weak last year, and they're in a division with the New Orleans Saints, Drew Brees in that offense. Tom Brady just just joined that division. The Atlanta Falcons with, with Matt Ryan. I understand there's a need to improve that defense. But is using an entire draft on one side of the ball a good way to go about drafting? So I think it depends on what your roster looks like. Um, but, you know, so if you look at Carolina's offense, they have Teddy Bridgewater quarterback right now. I, they weren't going to take a quarterback in this draft. Um, their wide receivers are pretty set uh, with Curtis Samuel and DJ Moore. Um, they have Christian McCaffrey, obviously, at running back. Their defense was in shambles, especially with Luke Keekley retiring and James Bradbury being traded. I think they did an absolutely fantastic job at finding talent in the right places in this draft. Derek Brown and Gross Matos, I think, are completely going to anchor that defensive line. Uh, Jeremy Chin, I think, is a great. He's, he's kind of like uh, poor man's Isaiah Simmons. So missing out on Isaiah Simmons in the first round or deciding not to take Isaiah Simmons in the first round, I think Jeremy Chin is a nice substitute because he is a versatile defensive back. He can drop down at linebacker, cover various positions, and kind of play all over the field. I think Kenny Robinson from West Virginia, who played in the XFL, is a fantastic free safety to shore up the back end. Troy Pride's a solid a developmental quarterback, cornerback. Uh, so I think they did a great job. And, you know, I, I don't want to, like, make a blanket statement by saying, yes, you should uh, go all one side of the ball in one draft, or no, you shouldn't. But I think in this case, if any team were to do it, I think the Panthers were in the right spot to do so. And I think they you know, were really smart about the way they built up the talent uh, on their defense. I also thought it was just interesting because my own perception of Matt Rule coming from college and coming from Baylor was that he was a that's that he's an offensive minded coach. He's a he's one of those great young play callers and, and young offensive minds in the game. And uh it was interesting to see him uh really dedicate the draft to the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I mean it, I, I guess you know he, he he probably thinks he has enough weapons on the offense that he needs talent on the defense to Go with it, and I, I do think the weapons are there. They, they also signed Robbie Anderson in free agency, I believe. Yeah. Um, so they have plenty of weapons. They, uh, you know, tight ends a little bit weak, uh, but their offensive line is pretty pretty solid, I believe. Um, and you know, maybe you know, they'll make some moves in free agency. But yeah, I mean, defense was a real deficiency, and like you said, competing against the Bucks' offense and the Saints' offense, 
and even the Falcons' offense and that division, like you needed defense. And I think uh, you know if if they hit on the vast majority of these guys, like that's a super young defensive for sure to, uh, to build around. So there was a lot of guys picked on day three. Obviously, four rounds went. I had I had four guys who who I thought were were very good picks. They're just interesting. Uh, value uh Kevon Wallace a safety from Clemson got drafted by the Eagles just I watched a lot of Clemson the last few years because they're in the playoff he was a guy who just seemingly was always always around the ball uh I'm frustrated he went to the Eagles because I personally think he's he's pretty good uh Antonio Gandy Golden a wide receiver from Liberty University got drafted by the Redskins I never heard of this guy and then Sunday morning he was on Sports Center. there's a segment on him and how incredibly talented he is and just like so many things like he could solve a Rubik's cube in under a minute. He's learning to play the guitar. He can like juggle. He could do all these crazy, crazy things and be a really good football player. So I'm just interested to see what happens in his career. Another guy, our New York giants picked Shane Lemieux, a guard from Oregon. He started 52 games in his career. I just think that was just really impressive. Really jumped out to me because uh, I don't know how many players in college now start 40 games, you know, and, and the fact that he started 52 uh, was just really, really impressive to me. And the last guy was Jordan Fuller, a safety from Ohio State. He got drafted by the Rams. Uh, I met him at in the lobby of the Hospital for Special Surgery in New York City. I was getting my stitches out after my hip surgery, and we met him. We, we took the elevator down, me and my mom, him and his mom. I uh, just want to shout him out and, and wish him the, the best of luck going forward. That's awesome. So, so who were some of uh, some of your guys who were some really sneaky day three picks? Yeah, I like all of your picks, uh, particularly Antonio Gandy Golden. I was hoping the Giants would be able to get him. Uh, he's fantastic at the, at the catch point, and he's uh, like a big target who absolutely erases uh, inaccuracy, which will be helpful with uh, Dwayne Haskins in Washington. Um, in terms of my picks, unfortunately, I have two more Cowboys picks. Oh man! Uh, yeah, I know uh, Tyler Beattis, uh, center from Wisconsin. He was, he's a super rock-solid football player. He struggled with injury, which is why he dropped down. But he comes from a program with pedigree. Um, you know, he has the anchor and he has the strength. He has some movement skills. and he can, he, His ceiling is low, but his floor is high. And he could be a rock-solid center for the Cowboys if he stays healthy. And might slide in right away for Travis Frederick, um, who retired. Second one for the Cowboys is Bradley Anai. Uh, he's an edge rusher from Utah. He, I, um, what I heard is that he fell due to uh, just a, a limited physical profile. He ran a little bit slower than teams hoped, and his arms are a little bit shorter than teams would like. But if you watch him on film, like his technique is extremely advanced. He has plenty of flexibility. And I was honestly shocked to see him fall to the fifth round because I thought he could have been as easy, as high as a second rounder. Pac-12 so, defensive player of the year there, too. Yeah, yeah. I actually totally forgot about that. Yeah, he's a, he was fantastic in college. Uh, he absolutely bullied Austin Jackson. Uh, in the USC game, who was the Dolphins' pick at number eighteen, so you know, I was shocked to see him fall to fifteen uh, to the fifth round, and unhappy that the Cowboys got him. A few more is uh, Nick Harris to the uh, Cleveland Browns, to center from Washington. He's also a you know he's kind of undersized, I guess. His body's a little bit top heavy, uh, but he has such a nasty demeanor. He has plenty of strength. His mobility. Uh, he also suffered from some injury issues, but if he stays healthy, also. I think it's a fantastic pickup. He's also another guy I was hoping the Giants would be able to pick up at center at, in, in the fourth, fifth rounds. Uh, the Jets getting Bryce Hall uh, in the fifth or sixth round was an absolute steal. Hall's coming off a really bad leg injury, but he's a 
fantastic zone corner, and he's actually my number uh, 10 cornerback or 9 cornerback on my board. So to see him last in the 5th or 6th round was uh, insane. And then Curtis Weaver to the Dolphins. He also is another one with a limited athletic profile, but his technique is really advanced from Boise State. Uh, he can be a super effective edge rusher for the Dolphins, especially at that later value. Uh, so those are just a few. Uh, unfortunately, two of them are the Cowboys. Yeah. One of them is the Jets, but... Yeah. But, and and there's also going there's always gonna be many more guys from from this day from from day three as the majority of the NFL are guys picked in in the later rounds or undrafted free agents we're gonna hear a lot of more great stories if and when the NFL season comes back about you know fifth or sixth round guys who are making a a big impact so I guess my last question for you Alexander is what what do you and the guys at Blitzalytics do now the the, the draft is over do do you relax? Do you, you know, uh, can you don't crunch as much film? What comes next for you and the guys at, at Blitzalytics? Yeah, so we've got uh, a few days to relax, but we got a couple of big projects going on. Uh, the first is we're going to be doing pro scouting. So we're going to be breaking down every team's roster and looking at their best, uh, like, prospects. So we're going to be coming out with a prospect guide uh, over the summer, which will be super, super exciting. Um, you'll be able to find it on Amazon. I can give you more information to share with your listeners uh, as we get closer to that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we're also going to start 2021 scouting. It's never too early to look forward to next year. So we're putting together our database right now of the top seniors that will be in the class next year just because we know they're going to be, uh, you know, they, they can't go back to school. So we're going to be doing just profiles on each of those players, all the top players uh, for the 2021 class, just of strengths, weaknesses, and overview looking at this year's film. And then as we get towards the end of the college football season in 2020, we'll be going back and looking at the 2020 film and seeing how that compares. Um, and then we also have plenty of other things going on in terms of fantasy football. We'll be starting our fantasy content very soon, uh, which I'll be overseeing. Uh, we still have off-season articles in terms of uh, what the rosters might look like, You know, assuming training camp happens, tra- different training camp titles. So we have, uh, we have pretty much everything covered across the board. That's awesome. I, I'm definitely going to be dialed into your guys' fantasy football coverage. I'm, I'm, I'm an avid player uh, and uh, definitely looking for uh, all the insights I can get. Alexander, thanks again for joining me today and uh, just love what you guys are doing over at Blitzalytics. So so keep up the good work and uh, we'll be looking forward to, to hearing from you guys down, uh, down the line as, as we get closer to the fantasy football season and the actual football season. Appreciate it, David. Thanks so much. That'll do it for this episode of The Double Double. If you like this podcast, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and you can rate us. Five stars and much appreciated. And you can also subscribe so you won't miss out on any future episodes. You can also follow us on Twitter at DBL underscore DBL podcast. We will be back on Friday. Until then, take care and make it a great day.